All right, we are in the final week of uh, the series we've been in entitled Close to Him Equals Close to Them. So if you uh, grow closer in your walk with God, get closer in your relationship with Him, it should result in closer relationships with the people that God has called to be a part of your life. In fact, again, for one last time, this spiritual truth that we've been unpacking during this time is that the health of our vertical relationship with God is reflected in our horizontal relationships with people. If you want to know how close I have really grown with God, take a look at how well I'm able to work through difficulties with family members, with friends, with co-workers, with church members, because the more I get close to God, watch this, he's going to soften my heart toward people. It is impossible to be really close to God and hard-hearted toward how I relate to other people. Come on, say amen, somebody. 1 John 1, 7 is what we've been looking at. It says, but if we are living in the light... As God is in the light, then we have fellowship. Everybody shout fellowship. fellowship. We have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, is what cleanses us from all of our sin. We've been saying over and over that real fellowship with God inevitably will affect the way we function in relationships. So here for this finale, I want to give you the second half of what I started last week, which was Friendship 101. So I want to give you part two of Friendship 101. And, and, and I start off last week kind of reading a little something that I had put together. I've kind of extended it and added some more to it. So I want to read this again. It says, most of our issues relative to relationships go off of the rails at the family and friends level. While we may have relational issues at work, those people don't go home with us. And most times we can compartmentalize problematic work relationships without them being all consuming. But family and friends have the potential to bless our lives or wreck our lives if we don't manage those relationships well. To that end, let's acknowledge that most of us have never been taught how to be a friend or to have a friend. In school, we learn math and English and science and social studies. But we never learn friendship the right way. Consequently, most of us have never really been taught how to be a friend, how to have a friend, or how to define real friendship. Well, God is the author of friendship. It was God who said, it is not good that man should be alone. As such, friendships play a very vital role in our lives. Mankind was not made to be an island or go at it alone. We need friendships. The most critical determinant of our future success or failure behind God and our spouse is our friendships. Look at a person's friends and you can prophesy their future. Look at a person's friends and you can articulate their values. Look at a person's friends and you quickly get a gauge on their level of commitment to Christ. An old Japanese proverb says, when the character of a man is not clear to you, just look at his friends. So with friends playing that big of a role in God's destiny for our lives, we need to become masters of friendship. We must learn when we should sacrifice for the needs of a friend and when to recognize we're allowing someone to selfishly take advantage of us. With proper care and wisdom from God, we can learn to cultivate one of the greatest gifts God has given to man, the gift of friendship. And I want to also just remind you what I said last week as well. The spiritual truth of how to be friends is not just something that we deal with in the arena of friendship, but it is the foundation for a successful marriage. You don't get to a successful marriage without being successful friends. You don't continue in a successful marriage if you don't continue to stay friends. It's the foundation for successful marriage, for family ties, for best friends, for teammates, 
for coworkers, and for any other relationship where there is a need or a desire to go beyond a surface-level engagement. So last week, we gave you the first half of this, and I told you that if you really want to understand how, what, what friendship is supposed to be, number one, friendship has got to have some commonality. Come on, we got to have something in common for us to ever be friends. And we don't have to have everything in common, but there's got to be enough commonality there for us to be like magnets that pull toward each other. But watch this. If we start off with commonality, we have to continue with commonality. Because if not, then two people who were friends at one time or a husband and wife who were close at one time can, can grow apart, can drift apart if we don't maintain a certain level of commonality. We also told you that real friendships, watch this, must make one another better. So as you look over the landscape of the people you call friend, ask yourself, has my life gotten better or worse since they became my friend? When I hang out with them, do I have praise or regret? When we spend time together, am I thanking the Lord or repenting? Don't shout me down because I'm already preaching good. We also told just about friendships last week. Friendships are forged during times of adversity. You don't know who your friends are when everything is going great. You find out who your friends are when, when things start to go wrong, when you, when you hit a dry spot, when you hit a bad spell, when, when, you, when you mess up, you miss the mark, when you don't have all the money to buy stuff for everybody anymore, when things aren't on top the way they may have been at one time. In times of adversity, that's when friends come even closer. We told you friendships must have mutual respect. Which means I can't take advantage of you. You can't take advantage of me. We got to have an equal voice in the friendship, no matter who makes the most money, who has the most status. When it comes to the friendship, there's got to be an equality. We got to have mutual respect. And lastly, we also told you that friendship must have transparency. If you cannot be yourself around whoever it is, that is not your real friend. I don't care how long y'all been knowing each other. If you got to put on a mask, you got to put on a front. If you got to act a certain way, walk a certain way, you got to, you know, be able to buy certain things. You got to front like you're at a level that you're really not. That's not your real friend. It's somebody you may care about. It's somebody that's been a part of your life for a long time. But a real friend, come on, somebody, lets you be yourself. Come on, they celebrate you as yourself. They want to help you be better, but they're okay with you right where you are. Give me an amen, somebody. The sixth thing I want to tell you today is that friendships affect the favor that's on your life. Friendship, who you call friend, who you hang out with, it affects the favor that is on your life. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 20 says, keep company with the wise and you will become wise. But if you make friends with stupid people, (laughs) this is in the Bible, man, I didn't make this up. (laughs) You make friends with stupid people, you will be ruined. The message Bible says it this way, become wise by walking with the wise, but hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Anybody know that's true? Anybody know that when it's true? Hang out with the wrong people. It can absolutely affect the favor that is on your life. Listen to this quote. Much of what God does in the earth is through the vehicle of favor. You know what it means, right? To have favor on your life. That means that, that people just want to help you, bless you, do things you. They might not even understand why. They might not even like you for real. But there's just something about you that folks just want to help you. That's called favor. I don't know about you. I confess favor over my life every single day. 
I do. I declare favor goes before me. Favor follows me. Favor surrounds me. I declare that God has people waiting in the wings to be a blessing to my life. That there, there are folks right now that are dreaming up ways they can help me do what God has called me to do. Why? I'm also declaring that I'm a person who favors other people. I'm trying to bless other folks. Much of what God does in the earth is through the vehicle of favor. So don't allow the favor on your life to be diminished because of the foolishness of somebody you call friend. Don't end up letting your life have its favor diminished because you're hanging out with somebody who's doing foolishness. Because people make the assumption that birds of a feather flock together. Whoever you're hanging out with, you can be labeled and tagged as being like them. If they got foolishness on them, the assumption will be made that maybe the same thing is resting on you as well. The wrong friendship can make you lose favor, but the right friendship can cause your favor to increase. It's a story over in 2 Kings chapter 3 where it says King Joram, <clears throat> he set out from Samaria and he prepared Israel for war. His first move was to send a message to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and he said, The king of Moab, Moab has rebelled against me. Would you join me and fight him? So in other words, King Joram, he's a, the, 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 king, the king of Israel. The, the kingdom had been separated to north and south. He's over to the kingdom of Israel. And, and he's saying, look, I'm getting ready to go to battle. I don't want to go to battle by myself. So he sends a message to Jehoshaphat, who's the king over Judah. And he says to him, will you go with me to fight for him? And this is Jehoshaphat's response. He says, I'm with you all the way. In other words, I'm ten toes down. Where, where, where are we at? Where, where are you at? I wish they would. Jehoshaphat said, my troops are your troops, and my horses are your horses. So, 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 so Jehoshaphat joins King Joram. They're going out to fight against uh, Moab. They're going out to do battle. But seven days into their journey, seven days into their trip to get in position to fight, the three kings and the armies that are with them, they ran out of water. And I mean, if you don't have water resources, you, you're not in, in a good position to fight. They run out of water, and they were actually in real danger of being defeated. Their only hope was to turn to the prophet Elisha for help. So they come to Elisha, and in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 14, they come to ask Elisha for help. And, and, and Elisha said, as God of the angel armies lives and before whom I stand ready to serve. Watch this. He says, if it wasn't for the respect I have for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I wouldn't give you the time of day. He said, but considering, in other words, considering the fact that Jehoshaphat is with you, he said, bring me a minstrel. In other words, bring me somebody to, to play. And when the minstrel played, the power of God came on Elisha. When I, Elisha stepped in, prayed to God, manifested for them what they needed. But the point I want you to get is, if Joram had been out there by himself, Elisha, I wouldn't give you the time, but I wouldn't even answer your email. I would, I, I would have left you on red. Come on, somebody. I would have sent you straight to voice. In other words, what he's saying is, if I, I don't have favor for you, Joram. He said, but because of who your friend is. Come on, somebody. Because of who you're connected to. Come on, somebody. Because of who has recommended you to me. He said, I'm going to step in and do for you what I would do for him because his favor is resting on your life. Make sure that the people that are in your life, a part of your life, are adding favor to you, not taking favor away. That's why the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That when you find the right wife, she adds favor to you, brother. 
But I think the, truth, the same thing is true in reverse. When, ladies, when you are connected with the right husband, there's a favor that comes on your life too. There's some people who will deal with you, who will bless you because of who you have connected your life with. Can I get an amen, somebody? Can I get a better amen, somebody? I mean, really, if, if life has become a struggle for you lately, I wrote this down. If life has become a struggle for you lately, you might need to check and see if there's a Jonah in your boat. You know what that means? Remember the story of Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh, and, and he decided to go a different direction. And, and they're out there in the sea, and, 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 the, and the, the, the boat is about to t- 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 uh, flip over, and the, the waves are crashing. And, and they're like, man, let, let's figure out you know, who it is that's done something wrong. They start throwing stuff overboard and losing their, 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 their uh, stuff in the boat. And then they say, let's figure out who it is that's in this boat that's done something wrong. And they, they, they draw straws, believe it, and, and it came that it was Jonah. In other words, watch, everything that was going bad for all those other guys in the boat was because of one guy. Sometimes there can be a whole lot of bad stuff happening in your life because of that one friend you won't let go of. How many of you say better amen than that? Sometimes the reason why things are so topsy-turvy and your money is always messed up and you just can't seem to get a break and things just won't work out well for you is because you know God has been tugging at your heart. In fact, he gave us a word of the Lord at the start of this year. He said to separate from those relationships that dishonor his presence. He said and embrace the ones that that promote and, and, and give honor and reverence to him. So in other words, the favor that is on our lives can be heavily affected by who we call friend. The next one I want to give you is that true friends refuse to give in to selfishness. True friends refuse to give in to selfishness. Now, I told you last week that David and Jonathan became the best of friends. Jonathan was son of King Saul. He's legitimately next in line for the throne according to kind of what, what, what the natural progression is. But God has come along and decided that he's not going to allow Saul's family to remain in power. So he sends Samuel down, and Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse, and he anoints David to be the next king. Now, this, this is a good lesson right here. Just because you're anointed doesn't mean it's your time. David gets anointed to be the next king and then goes right back out there taking care of the sheep. But him and Jonathan become friends. And so you would naturally expect that, hang on, that Jonathan's mindset would be, well, what do you mean? I'm next in line to be the king. But everybody knows now that, that, that Samuel has anointed David to be king. And even though they're best of friends, their friendship sets a godly standard for what real friends ought to be. But in King Saul's mind, there was a conflict of interest because Saul wanted to make his son Jonathan the next king, even though God himself had anointed David to be king. Can I tell you this? When God anoints somebody, you can't take that away from him. You can dislike them, you can hate on them, you can talk about them. But when God has chosen somebody, they are chosen by God. Even if they're flawed, they still are chosen by God. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse number 30 says this, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. This is what he said to him. He said, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now that's the in-church Bible version. We know what he really called him. (laughs) You son of a... Don't you just love the Bible, man? <laughs> you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. He says, now send somebody to bring him to me for he got to die. 
Saul is so determined to force his way, he's willing to kill the one that God has anointed to be next in order to make sure he can prop his son up to be next. Thankfully, again, Saul, uh, Jonathan, and David have become such friends that, that Jonathan is not willing to do the thing that is wrong to put himself in position to be king next. He refused to abandon his friendship for his own selfish ambitions. Listen to this. True friends do what is best for one another without the selfish tendency to look out for me. Hmm? That, that means that friends don't get mad because your friend is dating and you're not dating yet. Friends are actually happy for their girlfriend when, when she ends up getting engaged to somebody who's a good fit. They don't just try to break them up and, and get mad because we don't hang out as much as we used to. Come on. Real friends are actually happy for their friend when good things are coming their way, no matter what your, my status is at the moment. Come on, say amen, somebody. Come on, say amen, somebody. See, see real, real friends don't get jealous at one another's success. You got to watch the people that cannot clap when good things happen for you. You know, I've, I've come to learn this. There, there's some people that will stalk your social media pages and they'll look at everything you're doing, but they will never respond and celebrate something good happening. And understand, most of the time they can't respond publicly to something good happening because of the things they've already said about you in private to other people. Friends are going to celebrate each other, each other's success. Can I get an amen, somebody? You know, a, a friend is got, not going to move in with their friend at a time that they know is not good for them. A, a friend is going to be considerate of those kind of things. True friends won't brag or flaunt their successes in the face of their friend. But that's also why commonality is important. Because if God is blessing your life, you shouldn't have to hide your blessing. Right. Which, which why you got to make sure that the people in your life are folks that are because if if the people that are part of your life are going hard after God like you're going hard, hard after God they may not have the same things happening but they're going to have good stuff happening to them too. But if you're going hard after God and the favor is on your life and He's blessing you and you're getting promoted and increases coming your way and and you're getting wisdom from God and 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 all these great things are happening and your friend is still determined to do things their own way, and they're struggling after struggling after struggling, you shouldn't have to hide the good stuff happening in your life because they made a decision. They don't want to go hard after God like you. Give me an amen, somebody. Amen. But part of what happens with friends is that friends recognize that I'm not here to, to make you feel bad. So I'm not here. Uh, love, the Bible says love doesn't boast and brag anyway. I remember when I was, uh, I was 14 and we were living in, my, my mother's family's from, from Arkansas, so we were living in Little Rock, Arkansas for a, a short time. And in Arkansas, in Detroit, where, where I was born and raised, you can't get your permit to drive until you turn 16, just like it is here. Well, in Little Rock, Arkansas, you can get your permit to drive at 14. Well, since I was in Arkansas, I was like, well, no, no, I'm down here. I'm going to get my permit now, because if you get it in one state, they have to honor it in the next state. So at 14, I went and took the test. I, my mother had already taught me how to drive, so I, was, I had been able to drive. So I'm 14. I take the test to get my driver's license. I pass the test. My best friend at the time, how many of you know when you go through life, you end up with a bunch of best friends? <laughs> so like when I was five, I had a best friend named Brian Chin. When I was like 14, my, my best friend was a guy named Dexter Williams. And we, we, we danced together and break dance. We were like professional break dancers, did some commercials and other stuff together. And so we both went to take our driver's test together. 
I passed mine. He didn't pass his. And I didn't even, this is a kid thing. You know how exciting it is to pass and get your driver's license? You know how you want to go out and tell everybody right away? I kept my driver's license, my permit hidden. Didn't tell anybody but my mother, only person who knew. Until, because he had to wait 30 days before he could take it again. 30 days later, he took it. He didn't pass it the second time. He had to wait 30 more days. 30 more days went by. He took it and passed. I had my driver's license permit for two months before I ever even shared it with all of our friends and family because friends try to look out for their friend and consider how even my successes might leave you feeling bad. I was willing to wait a couple months for my friend to pass so we could tell everybody together. Come on, when you're really a friend, you, you, we think through how my life and my successes may impact the people that are around me. I need a good amen from somebody. I need a better amen somebody. This is what friends ought to do. We should prophesy the greatness of our friends, and we ought to celebrate their victories. Right? You, you, you know this verse over in Romans chapter 12, verse 15? It says, rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that do weep. Can I just say this? The church has mastered the art of weeping with those that weep. We know how to do that part of the verse. Oh, yeah, you let somebody lose a family, and we'll fry a chicken up in a... Boy, we bring a chicken to you, huh? Chickens of America can't stand the church. They can't stand the church. We'll fry they behind up and bring them to your house. Hmm? <laughs> they can't stand us, man. We've mastered the art of weeping with those that weep. Watch this. But we struggle sometimes with knowing how to rejoice with somebody else when they're rejoicing when it's not our turn yet. I need you to say amen. Real friends know how to rejoice with their friend even if it's not my time yet. Even if it hasn't happened for me yet. Watch this. Even if it never happens for me. My ability to rejoice with you should not be contingent on if it's happened for me yet. Because if I'm really your friend, I'm just happy to know that what you and I have been standing and praying for for you has actually happened. And if anything, it's an encouragement to me to know that God is still answering prayers. And what I'm believing him for, I'm trusting it's going to happen to me too. Watch this, because with God, you know, it's not like God has limited resources. It's not like if he meet your need, now he's got less to meet my need with. I ought to be able to celebrate with you big time because if I'm really your friend, I'm excited to see good things happen your way no matter what is going on in my situation. And we got to make sure that we're paying attention to the people we call friend because if they can't celebrate what's happening with you, then there's real concern there. Husbands and wives ought to be able to celebrate each other. Come on, husbands and wives ought to be the biggest cheerleaders of what's happening in one another's life. We ought to look at it. We should want to see good things happen for our spouse. An attitude we ought to have is if it's happening for you, it's happening for me too. Can I get an amen, somebody? Here's the next one I want you to get. Number eight, friendships take commitment and sacrifice. Friendships take commitment and sacrifice. John 15, 13 says, greater love has nobody than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, often friendship requires us to lay down our life or at least lay down our agenda for a friend. Commitment and sacrifice are not popular words in our modern culture. However, they are the bedrock of any good relationship and are necessary elements among friends. You know, as we sit and watch our, uh, our basketball team win this championship, if, if I can be honest with you, 
This, this is the team I expected the least to win a regional championship and be headed to the Final Four. Not because we don't have good players. We, we don't have nearly the kind of height on this team that we've had before. The, the team we beat on Friday night, University Christian is an amazing school, amazing team. We beat them twice. We beat them for the district championship. It came back and had to beat them again to go for the regional championship. They have, they have five players that are over 6'5". Yeah. Like Goliath, 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 Goliath. Goliath, right? This team this year, we have one player, I think, who's 6'3", 6'4", maybe. We got a ton of guards that are 5'8", 5'9", 6 feet. But it's not the size of how tall you are. It's what you got to hear. And part of what has made this team click is that everybody has had to understand you may not get as much playing time as you like. You may get pulled out of the game at a time you don't want to get pulled out of the game. But if this team, the team is better, the the collective team is better than the, 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 the individual pieces. And when everybody comes together and says, it doesn't matter if I play as much as I like. I might not be the one that ended up on the news hitting the winning shot this past week. But at the end of the day, we all got on the ladder to cut down the net. Come on, somebody. Because a team says, I don't have to be the star. I'm a part of the organization. Friendship takes commitment, and it means sacrifice. Commitment and sacrifice means we're willing to be committed even during inconvenient times. Over in the book of Ruth, there's a story uh, about a legendary friendship between a woman by the name of Ruth and her mother-in-law by the name of Naomi. Ruth's husband died. So Naomi's son, who's Ruth's husband, she, he, she passes away. And Ruth is gonna, or Naomi rather, is going to head back to her homeland. And she's telling Ruth, go back to your people. You're young. There's a need for you hanging on around with me, this old woman. Go ahead and go back to your folks. Go ahead and you can get married again. But this is the, 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 the mindset of commitment and sacrifice that Ruth had. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Because wherever you go is where I'm going to go. Wherever you stay is where I'm going to stay. Your people are going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. Wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. And that's where I want to be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything other than death separates you and me. That's commitment and sacrifice. <laughs> Naomi doesn't have any more sons. It's not like she can wait around and maybe, you know, if I, if I end up being nice to her, there's something good that can come out of it. She's committed because they've formed a mother-daughter friendship, and she's willing to do what's right by her, even if she thinks it could be to her detriment. Ruth committed to Naomi with nothing to gain from it. In the chapters that followed, her commitment and sacrifice got heaven's attention. Heaven pays attention to loyalty. By the end of the story, both Ruth and Naomi had their lives restored because of Ruth's sacrifice for Naomi. Their friendship is legendary, and Ruth's commitment and sacrifice pulled her into the Messianic lineage. When you look at the, the lineage of Jesus Christ, you see Ruth listed there. This woman who wasn't even a Jew, you see her listed there in the lineage of Christ. And she, she ends up marrying a guy by the name of Boaz. You know, it's all the ladies looking for Boaz. Why can't you find your Boaz? Maybe it's because of yo behind. <laughs> what did y'all think I was going to say? What did you thought I was going to say? <laughs> we just cussing up in here today. 
<laughs> listen to this. When we factor commitment and sacrifice into our friendships, listen to this. It requires our circle of close friends to decrease. Why? Because trying to be friends with people that God has not assigned us to will exhaust the time, energy, and resources that are needed to be a real friend to the people God has actually placed in our lives. I'm preaching good. I don't care if you say amen or not. That's good. When I'm trying to be friends with all these people, it's going to wear out all my time. I'm not going to have time for the real people I'm supposed to be friends with. I'm not going to have the resources that I ought to be able to share with other people. I'm not going to have the energy, which means I've got to whittle down and really ask God, the Lord, show me who are the people I'm supposed to invest in and who are the people I'm supposed to withdraw from. Number nine, friendship is built on trust. Where there is no trust, there is no friendship. Trust is not something that can be granted by request. It must be earned over time. Please tell me you heard that. Trust is not something that can be granted upon request. Well, you don't trust me. I I don't know you. It cannot be granted on request. It's got to be earned over time. That's why it is impossible to call somebody your good friend when you've only known them for a short time and in a limited capacity. I need you to listen to me on this right here. And that's also why it is supremely dangerous to marry somebody with whom you have a very limited experience base. But the Bible don't say you got a date for a year. No, it doesn't say that, but common sense tells you that you don't want to just date somebody. You haven't had a chance to see how they respond. If you haven't seen them get mad yet, it's not time to marry them. You know, how do they respond when they get mad, man? Do they go off on you? Are they ready to fight? Do they take off and leave? Do they just ignore you? Do they punish you emotionally? So many people get married, and then they, they, they get married, and they say, he changed. He didn't change, sweetheart. <laughs> he didn't change. He was the same way. You just didn't know him long enough to see that side of him come out. He was the hunchback of Notre Dame the whole time. <laughs> you just didn't see. Now he's coming around like this, and you're trying to figure out. You got you to date them long enough to see. You say, well, my, my granddaddy and grandmama, they only knew each other for six weeks. They got married. They've been married for 59 years. Well, try it if you want to. That's the exception, not the norm, sweetheart. Most times when you marry somebody, you don't have enough experience. You, you're gonna, let me say, let me say, you're going to find out one way or the other. It's better to find out when you got options. Because once you say, I do, you don't get to have the oops clause. I, I, my bad, I messed up. I, I didn't know you was like this. <laughs> Take the time to see that person in a number of different settings. Can I get an amen, somebody? <laughs> when trust has been shattered, it can be very difficult, not impossible. It can be very difficult to rebuild trust. Here are three keys to, to strengthening the trust in your friendships right here. Three keys, real quickly. Number one, be honest with your friend. One of the things that will strengthen friendships is be honest. If, 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 if she asks you, girl, girl how, how do I look in this dress? Girl, you look terrible in that dress. <laughs> I tell people, don't you ask me because I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. 
Even with my wife, she'll ask me, babe, how do you like this meal? I didn't like that one, babe. I've gotten better. I'm not like the Cornish hens back in the day. I don't, I don't talk about the little wet chickens. I don't. Learn my lesson on that one. <laughs> but I ain't going to sit and tell. So my, my wife likes to go on Pinterest and find meals and experiment on us, and she get mad because we don't love it. <laughs> Am I telling the truth, baby? Yes, yes she does. Come on, Carrie, you better side with me on this one. So you go on Pinterest and cook up something, and then she don't even want you to look in the pot. Just, 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 just wait, wait, don't, don't look. I want to know what I'm getting ready to eat. And after I taste it, I'm going to be honest, because if I mess around and say I love it, if I don't, you're going to cook it again. <laughs> be honest with your friend. <laughs> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you're all members of one body. See, when it comes to friendships, we should never have to question the truthfulness of our friends. Second thing we can do to strengthen our friendships and trust is don't share your friend's confidential information. Come on, you felt that in your gut, didn't you? Don't share your friend's confidential information. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Now, hear me out. I'm not going to keep a secret and say you was with me, you weren't with me. I'm not. I'm not helping you lie. I'm not helping you cheat. I'm not helping you do wrong. I'm just not. That's not what friendship does. We help make each other better. So don't, don't, don't put me in it if you think I'm going to kind of cover up your lie. I'm not doing it. But what we're talking about here is when your friend has shared something personal, something confidential. And that even comes back to marriages again. You can't share the secrets of your home with your mother and your sister and your girlfriend. You don't need to go and tell them what's happening in your marriage. Now, if you, if you feel like your life is in danger, absolutely you tell somebody. But if you and your spouse are just going through spouse stuff, regular marriage stuff, the last thing you can afford to do is tell your mother all of your business. Because no matter how unbiased your mama tries to be, she cannot separate the fact that you came forth from her. She cannot. So that, that, but that's the reason why everybody needs to be a, a part of a church. The church is more than coming on Sundays and getting a sermon. The church has resources. We have a whole counseling team that we have employed that are, are trained, that are certified to counsel you. They are not biased. They're not going to be on his side or her side. They're going to be on the side of your marriage. They're going to give you good, solid wisdom, which means if I need to vent and tell somebody, I need to tell somebody who, number one, is not on one side or the other. Number two, who actually has enough wisdom and godly counsel, they can actually tell me the right thing to do. It's not going to help for me to share that confidential information with the, with the friend or the person I call my parent. And the third thing you can do to strengthen the trust in your friendships is, listen to this one, just keep your promises. Do what you said. Just do what you said. Don't, don't keep saying, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, and then just never do it. It, it, it erodes confidence. Psalm 15.4 says, they always do what they promise, no matter how much it may cost. That's the character we want to have and be known for. He'll, he'll, if he said he's going to do it, you can trust he's going to do it. Don't, don't worry about it. That's the kind of confidence we want to have in our friendships. The last one I want to give you here for friendship is that friendship should extend to the next generation. Using again David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan had a covenant. And unfortunately, Jonathan ended up dying prematurely because his father, Saul, stopped listening to God and allowed himself to get off track and took all his sons out here into a battle they shouldn't have been in and Jonathan ends up being, being killed. David hears about it, and his heart is broken. 
And David now becomes a king because Saul is gone and Jonathan's gone and David now becomes king. And one day David looks around and he's, he's trying to figure out, man, is there anybody left from Jonathan's family line? Because when we became covenant brothers, I know he's gone, but I still owe him because we're in covenant. And he says this in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. He says, one day David asked, is there anybody left from Saul's family? If so, I'd like to show him some kindness in honor of Jonathan. They went searching. They said, well, Jonathan has a son. His name is Mephibosheth. He's lame in his feet. I believe he got injured when they were running, and, and his, 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 uh, his caregiver thinks she tripped and fell, and I believe he had a spinal cord injury. But he's lame in his feet, and they find Mephibosheth, and when they bring him to David, Mephibosheth is nervous because back then, if a new king rolls up, he would go and kill all the members of the previous king's family so they wouldn't come back one day and try to take the throne. So they come searching for Mephibosheth. He's in a place called Lodibar. That's a whole other mess I wish I had time to preach. He's got royalty in his veins, but he's living in a dry place. They bring Mephibosheth to David. He, he comes in. He's lame in his feet. He's, he's nervous. And David says this to him in verse 7. He says, don't be afraid. He says, I want to do something special for you in memory of your father, Jonathan. <laughs> to begin with, I'm giving back to you all the property that your grandfather, Saul, owned. And furthermore, from the rest, for the rest of your life, you're going to eat all your meals right here at my table. What is he doing? He's doing this because him and Jonathan were covenant brothers. See, real friendships, you can trust that they'll be there to take care of your family, even if you're gone. My best friend, Joe Gregory, you've heard me talk about him a lot, man. We're covenant brothers. They're godparents to our three kids. We're godparents to their two kids. And when our kids were younger, it was understood. God forbid, if something were to happen to April and me, our kids were going to go and live with them. Yeah, we, don't you have blood relatives? We do. But our kids would have gone to live with them. <laughs> They had the resources. Our will was set up that if something were to happen to us, the money from our will would go into an estate for our friends to use it to care for our kids and vice versa. So they, our kids are grown and nothing's going to happen to us, but they, they, they can care for themselves now. point I'm making is there ought to be people in your life that you know, even if you were gone, they would still do right by you and by your family. Let's evaluate who we call friend, because the closer we get to him, the closer we ought to get to them. And there are some people that no matter how close I get to him, it's going to be, close, get, it's going to be hard to get close to them, because I'm getting more light in me, and it's not mixing well with the darkness that they don't want to let go of. We've got to evaluate who do I call friend, so we can make sure we're investing our time, our talent, and our resources into the right people. Lift up your hands. Father, we thank you. For the glorious benefit and blessing of friendship. Thank you, Father, that as we get closer to you, you are drawing us closer to the right people. And you're helping us to open up our eyes and see, Father God, who are the people that ought to be a part of our inner circle, part of our lives. Father, I thank you for every husband and wife in here. Let us open up our eyes and hearts to see that we've got to do the things that are necessary to draw closer to one another, Father. And I just ask you, Father God, help us in our sibling relationships. Help us in our parental relationships with our kids. Just help us, Father God, to have dynamic relationships the way you intended it to be. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed in prayer.
If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you. I didn't say you're a bad person. You could actually be one of the nicest people in the entire building and still not be saved. That's because salvation is not something that we earn from God by just being good. Salvation is a free gift that God has offered to mankind. But just like he offers it to one person, that person's got to receive it. Any gift that is offered has got to be received by the person on the other side. So if you're here today and you know in your heart that if you were to breathe your last breath, you would not make it to heaven. I want to ask you, ma'am or sir, will you please let me pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up here to the front of the church. But right there at your seat, I want to just lead you in a very simple prayer that will change your life forever. If you're in the room or maybe you're online, you're watching from another part of the city, another part of the state or the country. And if you honestly can say in your heart that today's a day, Pastor, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Then I'm going to ask you in just a moment when I count to three, just raise your hand right there where you're sitting. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you right there in your seat. So I'm going to count to three. When I do, go ahead and be bold and courageous and raise your hand if you're ready to give your heart to Christ. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift up that hand. Thank you. See that hand there? Beautiful. Another hand there. Thank you. Come on, who else? Thank you. Another hand there. Come on, who else? But raise your hand. You're saying, yes, I want Jesus. Yes, I'm ready to surrender my life to him. Anybody else before we pray? Anybody else online? You can raise your hand right there at home. Our team will put a little survey right there on the screen that you can click on. Anybody else before we pray? Thank you. Every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. Whisper this right there at your seat. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin, but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. So Jesus, come into my heart, save me, forgive me, make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days, and according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, Impact Church, put your hands together.